Hi, it's dating coach Chris Luna from Craft Charisma. Welcome to the Craft Charisma podcast, our free audio coaching program where we interview the top experts in the world at helping you become the man you've always wanted to be. My guest today is Robin Dreek. Robin is a former U.S. Marine Corps officer and former head of the Behavioral Analysis Program. Today, he's a recognized expert, author, and lecturer in communication, behavior, and trust building. He's the founder of People Formula and the author of several books, including The Code of Trust and American Counterintelligence Experts' Five Rules to Lead and Succeed. Robin, can you talk about your background, the work you do, and how you got into it? Um, yeah, sure. So the you know my background is I went to the United States Naval Academy, graduated there, went Marine Corps afterwards as an officer, served at Paris Island, South Carolina, and then came in the FBI, worked in counterintelligence back in 1997. And that kind of background, you know, there's no doubt, you know, it's a hard charging Type A. But when it comes to leadership, soft skills, and especially uh, what I did in the FBI was um, I worked counterintelligence for over 21 years. And in that job, especially when I worked in New York City, the primary goal of my job was to try to recruit spies. And specifically, you know, I worked against Russians. And what I quickly noted <laughs> was that I had a completely wrong skill set for inspiring trust and, you know, the leadership soft skills needed for that. Desperately wanted it. But luckily for me, I was surrounded by some great folks that had that that art form down. Um, and what my job became to do was how do I make that art form a paint by numbers so that uh, guys like me that have this hardcore kind of charge at you, you know, see the hill, take the hill attitude can, can soften that and make it to the point where you're not trying to convince people to do something rather you're talking in terms of wanting to inspire them to want to. So it really comes down to, you know, my lifelong pursuit of reversing it and not making it about what I'm trying to achieve, but actually trying to be a resource for others so they can achieve what they want to achieve. Yeah. Can you expand on that? Because I, I think um, a lot of men who are listening to this go into things with pretty clear objectives, right? They're like, I'm going to take the hill. I'm going to start at this business. I'm going to get the girl. I'm going to get the job, right? And so they have a really clear agenda. And it sounds like you're talking about something a little different. Yeah, and having an agenda and having uh, what I call these means goals is, is great because it gives you your walking path moving forward. Um, but means goals, you know, we think they lead to the end goals of what it is you're trying to achieve. And, and most of us, matter of fact, I dare say every human being is seeking uh, peace, prosperity, health, and what, um, and again, prosperity for you, yourself, and your family is the reason why we do everything. And we have a roadmap we think we need to take to get there. And I spent most of my time, you know, early on, like most people do, trying to make myself look good um, so I can achieve those milestones I thought I needed to do to get to that, uh, you know, peace and prosperity and safety and security for myself and my family. But in reality, uh, what I came to find out later on was that instead of trying to convince people that I'm awesome, I, I thought in terms of how can I inspire them to want to align with, and create healthy relationships with me because – as I've gotten older and I did this more and more, you know, from running my behavioral team to everything I've really done in life, with my own kids, my family, my work and everything, it really comes down to relationships. And ultimately, it's your ability and skill to develop healthy relationships with everyone uh, without lying, deception or, you know, or deceiving with open, honest communication and being a resource for their success and prosperity without expectation of reciprocity. That really became my gold motto for you know, creating those healthy relationships because without healthy relationships, you can achieve absolutely nothing and move forward with nothing. 
a couple of things come up. One is, as you were talking, I started thinking about how when I was younger, I wanted to be seen, right? And, and as I get older, um, I want to see people for who they are or be able to see other people. And there's a there's a shift there and we sort of let go of, or I had to let go of uh, some some of the ego or and really begin to connect with people. And it sounds like you're talking about something similar. Absolutely. You know, uh, one of my master tenets of this thing is ego suspension. Uh, and because our ego and our vanity gets in the way of everything, um, without a doubt. Because every human being, I don't care how evolved you are, and how mindful you are you know everyone's on our own path for this but ultimately you know we're insecure about something everyone's got insecurities and we spend most of our lives because we're insecure trying to identify what other people are insecure in other words we try to see their faults we try to judge them we try to place our own values on them and when we do i guarantee you every time we do this we're building up walls we're build, building up shields because ultimately you know our genetics and biology and then societal norms of all human beings is we're seeking to be affiliated with other human beings. We're seeking to be valued by other human beings. And the second you stop valuing and affiliating with other human beings, you are creating this divide. And so I did the same thing. You know, I spent, you know, as a type A kind of guy, I thought the way to get ahead was to stomp on your head. <laughs> and <laughs> and um, ultimately, it's not about how you make people think about you. It's how you make them think about themselves. And so I, I let go of trying to see people's faults because, again, we all have them. And I started seeking their greatness. I started seeking, you know, what's their value to them? You know, where, where are they fantastic? Because the best way to start any conversation is to use what I call specific validation of a strength attribute or action that they have. And when I start talking in terms and seeking those things, you know, that kind of shifts my context of how I see them. And I see them as, as great you know, human beings with priorities and resources just like all human beings have. And then when you couple that with, you know, with knowing how to demonstrate their value, um, it's, it starts creating those healthy relationships that you you will not move forward in life with anything you're trying to achieve without healthy relationships. I mean, my, my, my latest answer I'd love to talk about is, is you, know, you could be a rocket scientist you know, with the greatest IQ and the greatest intellect on earth, but without relationships, you might as well be a moron to sitting on top of a mountain because you will achieve absolutely nothing. And we, I mean, th th just think about all the things that you've achieved in your life and, and I think in my life. I guarantee you not one of them happened because you did it alone. Because there was always a teacher that stood by you and gave you what you needed. There's a parent. There's a guardian. There, there's, there's friends. There's family. There's, you know, colleagues. There, there, everyone in life has relationships, strong, and, strong or bad. But without good, healthy relationships, you are not going to move forward. I think it's a really great point, especially for men, right? Men... Uh, we often don't want to ask for help. We're taught that we don't need to ask for help. Um, we're sort of like mythologized with the idea of the rugged individual. We don't fucking need anybody. Like uh, we can do it all on our own. And and human beings are social animals. And a lot of the problems that we're trying to say solve, especially the more difficult ones, cannot be solved by one human being. Right. And and you used the curd, key word there, help. Um, and whether you know, I, that word, word has tripped me up a few times in my life and career because, you know, if you ask for help, then your own ego and vanity might get in the way. And then if you and even sometimes when I've offered help, you know, it puts you in a position where even the slightest nuance of feeling superior to someone is going to build up walls because, you know, how can you help me? You think you're better than me? As opposed to the way I think of uh, people and in interactions is. Is uh, I have resources and you have resources. You have priorities and I have my priorities. Let's let's first of all let's discuss uh, our priorities, things that are important to us, our needs, wants, dreams, and aspirations, and see where there's overlap. 
And now let's, you know, as we're doing that and exploring that, we're going to see what kind of resources each of us has. And so now all we're doing is talking about our overlapping priorities and what each of us brings to each other in terms of those priorities, in terms of resources. And so that way, you know, those that are afraid to ask for help, you're not. You're actually just having a discussion about priorities and being resources for each other. And those that, you know, worried about having that look of superiority over someone else's, you're not. Again, we're all on an equal playing field talking about priorities, talking about resources. So how do you get into this conversation, right? Because norm, for a normal human being, like I might say, I'm Chris, uh, and you are, and you'll say Robin, and I'll ask you, so what brought you out here? Whatever, like we have a sort of small talk. How do you go from there to talking about dreams, wants, aspirations, and priorities? You know, obviously, you know, it goes through the free flow of the conversation, but there's a number of um, questions I love to ask that kind of help me understand what those priorities are, you know, and again, you got to use them situationally. But, you know, at some point or other, I, I love the question, hey, so where do you see yourself in three, three, four, five years from now? What are you trying to do? You know, what are your ultimate goals? Um, and once you start to understand those, you know, they share those, you can say, um, well, what kind of things do you think you need to do in order to get there? You know, again, I, I call them what I call, it's what I call discovery questions. You're, you're discovering who they are. You're discovering those priorities. Um, another another question I love, I love challenges questions, meaning, you know, if they share anything or even, you know, some of the struggles of that they had in the last couple of weeks, you know, I ask them, so what kind of challenges, you know, did you face getting here today? What kind of challenges do you think you're going to have in your line of work? What kind of challenges do you have living where you live? You know, because, again, great open-ended questions and all every single answer to any of those questions is helping you understand what their priorities are. Because if you're not talking in terms of someone's priorities, um, there's no reason they should listen to you because otherwise they're just being polite. Something else that uh, I could see here where people get tripped up is they go through the motions, they ask the questions, but to really feel connected, you also have to be listening. Yeah, uh, listening is the most important thing in the world. And people, I'm going to break down listening real easy. Um, listening isn't shutting up because, and, and you and you said it just a few minutes ago too. I mean, you're doing a great job of balancing listening as well as knowing what questions to follow up with. But you said as soon as I said something, you had something to pop in your head. You had a question that popped in your head. And that's what people do naturally because our, our brains are wired to make these connections. And as soon as someone makes a statement about something within a, a second or two the other person automatically has a statement they want to make they're, they're demonstrating affiliation they're trying to you know say how we're connected because our brain is screaming at us build 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 these connections and what listening is listening is when you actually get that impulse to do this say you're at a meeting or a function or you're out on a date whatever it is as soon as you get that impulse here's what listening is it's taking that impulse of the thing that you want to respond with and the great anecdote and story you want to share and completely tossing it out of your mind and refocusing on exactly what it is they're saying and thinking to yourself, all, out of all the beautiful things they're sharing with me, which one do I want to pick to explore? You know, Which one of these ideas do I want to find out more about? Do I want to find out how they decided they wanted to do this or when did they decide to do you know follow this path in their lives? Now that is listening. Listening is getting rid of what it is you wanted to say and actually focusing on what it is they want to say. And the first time you consciously do that, it's going to feel very, very weird. It did for me. Uh, when you actually take that great idea that it is you want to share and that great way to build affiliation with them because I have this, such a great anecdote to tell them, toss it because they really don't care. They'd rather share theirs. That's a great point. I, I feel like that can get into competition, especially amongst men. Uh, a couple of things come up, and I, and I want your thoughts on them. One is, I, I've I've watched guys who 
only do what you're describing and it comes off as inauthentic and fake because they are they're not there it just doesn't feel real um that's one one thing that comes up so i know where you're going with uh, i I feel like i know where you're going with this or or what you're trying to communicate but i want to bring this up because i definitely have experienced that the second thing that i've experienced on the other end of the spectrum is guys contribute with the intent of sharing something but it becomes in some ways a competition and i feel like that's something that someone probably wants to avoid you might have a completely different take on these things but i'm interested in your thoughts on them yeah um absolutely so it's it's funny the i'll hit the competition thing first um because what's really interesting is the older i've gotten and the the principles i follow with the code of trust there there really isn't a competition anymore um because you know i only see when i look and i engage people the only thing i'm trying to do is always understand what it is they're trying to achieve what their priorities are and how they view prosperity from their particular point of view and i'm always going to create a healthy relationship so if i see someone that is in a lot of trying to constantly do one-upsmanship or compete in some way um all i see is some insecurity again it doesn't matter it's not a judgment because we all have insecurities and I, I'll make a choice at that point. I'll make a choice either to to validate those insecurities you have, so you either shut up or you know be quiet about them, or I'll just move away um, from engaging them because it's unhealthy. And and what's the other thing too? You know, when people get in competition, a lot of times what they're doing is they're looking for reaction from you, and it, I just won't give a reaction. You know, because again, I don't judge. I don't judge what it is you're trying to do, and I don't get into a game of one-upsmanship just because it. it it doesn't really matter to me anymore um, because it's not about one-upsmanship. It's about, hey, do you want to have a healthy relationship? Do we have overlapping priorities and do we want to exchange resources in any way? And if that's not what you want to do, okay, then I'll see if there's something else to value in the relationship. And if there's not, I'll, I'll move on. Uh, again, with with no – I don't do crazy brain. I don't do, I don't do negative thoughts about people. It just means that today uh, we're not meant to engage. Now, on the other side, uh, you mentioned also about you know feeling fake or inauthentic when doing these things. I'm thinking specifically. I was at an interaction with uh, someone recently, and I asked him a qu- question, and he followed it by asking me a series of questions. And I said, you know, you're really good at answering questions or asking questions, but you're not good at answering them. And it just felt um, it felt inauthentic, and it felt like he was disconnected or, or hiding something because what he was trying to do was be an authentic listener and actually he speaks on the subject but it just didn't feel it didn't feel right and so i'm curious what your thoughts are on that yeah um the way you described it, it it's uh it, it makes a lot more sense now so what was happening was you know so he's asking questions and it felt inauthentic because he's asking questions meanwhile you wanted an exchange going back and forth and so what what was happening here is very plain he was talking in terms of his priorities and he was completely ignoring your priorities. Cause remember my, one of my, my second step in what I do is seek and talk in terms of the other person's priorities. If the other person's priorities is to, you know, have a mutual exchange of information and anecdote and story, then that's what you do. You know, I, some people, you know, when they talk to me about this, they say, well, Robin, I don't have time to sit down and have donuts and coffee with everyone every day. And I said, no, because that would be what you're trying to do. Some some people are introverted. Some people are more reserved, you know, and so it's about honoring them and their priorities. If, if they want to be quieter, if they want more space, and as long as com- it's commensurate to their job description or the type of relationship you have, then you honor that. 
And if they want more, then you honor that. It's about understanding what the other person is seeking and, and wants and what their priorities are and, and t- talking in terms of those things. And so what you just described was a disconnect where they were blowing through your priorities and just talking in terms of theirs. That's an interesting way to, to frame that. You, you talked about the code of trust. I, I started trying to write it down, um, but I didn't catch it all. Can we take a step back and, and have you expand on that? Yeah. So, uh, you know, so, I, you know, I came up with a book on rapport a number of years ago and I wrote the code of trust, which came out last year. I'm working on another one about trust again this year. Um, but what the code of trust is, it's about the behaviors that you you can do to inspire others to want to trust you. And, you know, the first and there's five tenets in the book, but the really the the, the cognitive thought process I go through this uh, in my five steps is really, really simple. Um, the first one is what are your goals? You know, what are the things you're trying to achieve? And we talked a little bit about that. But right part of that first goal is I've now reversed it and I say to myself, so why should they want to? And meaning, so why should someone want to align with you? Why should someone want to share information with you? Why should someone want to go out on a date with you? Not why you think. Why would they think? And now you got to get your mind thinking and reversing that context and seeing how they see the world and how they see you through that optic and lens. And step two is, is discovering, and we talked about discovering their priorities, their needs, wants, dreams, and aspirations, how they see prosperity from their point of view. Because here's another guarantee of human behavior, which makes humans very predictable. If you can discover what someone's priorities are and how they view prosperity and you offer them resources for them to achieve those things, I guarantee you they're going to do it. It's a guarantee. Step three. Okay, go ahead. really quick. What, can you give us an example of uh, that just to, to make it a little more concrete for the listeners? Um, sure. If, well, here's here's a I'll just use a work example because popped in my mind quicker. Um, when I first came to my new office down here um, where I work and live in Fredericksburg, Virginia, the you know, for one of the first things I did was I asked my boss. I said, so where do you see yourself in a couple of years? What are you trying to do? And he said, he's trying to get promoted to this specific position. Next thing I said to him, I said, all right, it's my job to get you that position. And I said, and I said, what are your goals and priorities? And he told me, listed out what his goals and priorities are and how he saw himself and what he needed to achieve in order to get that position. And I just started offering them. I started being a resource for him achieving those things because here's the guarantee. I knew exactly what he wanted to achieve to move forward and where he wanted to move forward in. And if I gave him and became a resource for him doing those things, he'd want me to do them. He'd want me to be on a squad. He'd want me you know, to be part of a team as opposed to someone who's constantly arguing against the boss or constantly putting up shields or, or judging the things that you're trying to do. I can guarantee you they don't want you on your team. They don't want to be part of your life. They don't want a healthy relationship with you. So it's really just taking the time to figure out what their priorities are. Um, whether it's work or or personal too. I mean, you know, my wife and I, you know, we'll take it to a, a personal side. I remember years ago, you know, I mean, we've been married over 25 years, and you know, one of the first conversations people have as you're getting married or just got married is, you know, um, work, employment. Do you believe in a stay-at-home mom or that both parents should work? Do we want kids? Don't want kids? At what age we want to do these things? And so just understanding the priorities of others and then being a resource for that moving forward just makes life really simple because as soon as you understand it and you become a resource for them achieving it, I know exactly what they're going to do. After Discover Goals, what's next? Third step is context. How do they see the world through their optic? And that, In other words, their their demographic, their generation, their ethnicity, their gender. Um, 
demographic is great. You know, like you live in New York right now. I used to live in New York and, you know, it was before we even started chatting, we're, we're identifying context, you know, it's like, where do you live? Yeah, and because I remember you know, I've worked Russians most of my career and people sometimes say to me, so Robin, you a Russian expert. All I do is look back at them. And I say, well, I don't know. You're, you live in the United States. Are you an American expert? Because <laughs> uh, you can't be. I mean, because it all comes down to what did you experience throughout your life to this point, especially during those formative years between the ages of nine and 19, before the prefrontal cortex is fully formed and, and all these emotions we go through give us our imprint of how we see the real world through the rest of our lives. Even in the great commonwealth of Virginia, where I live, you know, if you go out west and you start up in northern part in Winchester and go all the way down to Bristol, which is in the south on the I-81 corridor, I call it, you go through three different dialects in that one in one part of our state. Then you have the Tidewater area and then you have northern Virginia. I mean, it, it's it's so diverse. And that's just in one state alone, because how do people identify? They identify by commonality of words and phrases that they use, um, sentence structure, tempo and pace. You know, I, I suffer, you know, a, a dual a dual inhibition for some uh, on making connections sometimes because I'm an extrovert and I'm from New York. You know, that is tempo, fast pace. It, it can be slaughtering to people from uh, the South without a doubt. When you understand the context, how do you I mean, are you saying that you should match and mirror pace? Are you saying that like how does somebody who's listening to this use this and run with it? Yeah, sure. These are just um, ways that people are identifying tribe and affiliation. You know, um, like when I, where I grew up, you know, we called, you know, sneakers, sneakers. I call sneakers, sneakers. Some people call them running shoes. Other people call them tennis shoes. When I was in the Marine Corps, we called them go fasters. Pretty literal in the Marine Corps. Um, and so it's just an, it's just giving you an ability to identify, you know, commonalities. Um, so so we, and even if you have a divergent, you know, you know, background and context, you know, even our own country, because I've dealt with people all over the world. What you're trying to do is discover what theirs is and make those make those connections. Like one of my favorite questions I have uh, when I first meet someone or in the first, you know, couple interactions is, hey, tell me about a favorite family holiday you had growing up and what was the traditions you had around it? Because I have not met a human being yet anywhere in the world that doesn't have some sort of tradition or family holiday. And I don't have to have the same one, but the fact that I have one, that's where the connection is. And that's where you start understanding context. You know, what kind of experiences do they have and what do they mean to them? What does family mean to them? So, again, when I understand what family means to you, when I understand what kind of friends you have, when I understand what kind of goals and aspirations you have in life, I start seeing and understanding how you see the world so I can understand it. Because once I understand it, I can now communicate with it. I can affiliate with it. And I can also start understanding even more what your priorities are and what your interests are and now I can I'm always thinking in terms of all right what kind of resources that do I have that I can actually do something and be a part of your life and contribute to those things what's the the fourth after context yep so on um, the fourth is you know where we start putting it all together you know so you want to make sure that you're talking in terms of their priorities um, you are are going to validate their thoughts and opinions and ideas non-judgmentally you're going to be honoring reason so that you don't get emotionally hijacked, angry or discontent, so that you get what I call angry brain going. And you're going to be generous. You're going to be generous with your resources, time, uh, and whatever else you have. So you're just going to start understanding, you know, how to craft our language. And of course, you know, ego suspension throughout the entire thing is what we're going to um, put together. And then, then finally, the step five is, is putting it all together, crafting that encounter. And I do this by always making sure at any opening statement I make, whether it's in writing or, or, or speaking live, 
if I'm going to um, I'm going to validate a very specific attribute action or event that you did non-judgmentally. And so that's why I'm constantly seeking the greatness of others. I'm constantly seeing where their greatness is. So that way you're not just giving someone a, a line. No, I'm, I'm, I'm giving you something very specific I observed um, that you did or a, an attribute of who you are. So I can start out with that. And again, if I don't know any of those things right off the bat, the first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to validate and thank you for taking any time at all to speak with me because people do not have to share their time with you. And so I'm always going to at least be very appreciative of time. And then, then throughout the entire conversation, I'm going to be doing one of these four things in everything I say, because again, our brain is wired uh, to want to belong to meaningful groups and organizations. So we want affiliation with others that goes back to ancient tribal man or our biology. And we're also seeking to be valued by others in part of that tribe. And so in every single statement I say, I'm going to make sure I'm doing one of these four things, if not more. One, I'm going to be seeking your thoughts and opinions. Two, I'm going to be talking in terms of your priorities. Three, I'm going to be validating. And now validation is a word I like to use a lot. Validation means I'm seeking to understand. doesn't necessarily mean I agree, um, but I'm going to seek to understand or validate your thoughts, opinions, and ideas that you just shared. And fourth, I'm going to give you choices. I'm going to power you with choices because, again, each one of those four things is demonstrating that I value you and demonstrating I'm a, I want to be affiliated with you. Can you walk us through an example of each? Um, sure. So seeking thoughts and opinions of others. So a lot of times someone will come out with a statement um, and you don't agree with it and or you want them to listen to something that you want to tell them instead of telling someone something, ask them what they think about it. In other words, so even if you don't aren't quite sure what someone's beliefs are or political alignment, you know, which can be a really hot topic, but instead of making statements about things like, hey, uh, here's what I think about you know, what I just saw on the news right now. Instead of making a statement which can have a negative reaction shields up, ask them what they think about it. Say, hey, I just saw this thing on the news and it said this, this, this. I'm curious. What are your thoughts and opinions about that? You know, what you just um, saw, you know, uh, hell, you know, at, at work, you know, I, you know, we just some someone just came out with this thing we're supposed to do or execute by tomorrow. Instead of giving your thought and opinion about it, ask them what their thoughts and opinions are about it. Because, again, um, it's, it's an easy way to, one, discover their priorities and their context all by just merely reversing what it is you want to tell them and instead ask them what they think about it. Because this also goes to my tenant, you know, also about, you know, people sometimes just want to plant seeds with people to let them grow. Um, you don't plant seeds by telling them what you think. You plant seeds by asking them what they think. Um, so that's why I'm always seeing how I can reframe everything from a statement to seeking a thought and opinion. So that's thoughts, and then the next one you said is priorities, right? Right, speaking in terms of their priorities, and that is, um, you know, we talked about it at length already um, pretty much, but if, you, if you're not talking in terms of what's important to them, they're being polite at best when they're listening to you because people just care about what's important to them. Again, this, this is our genetics talking too. This has nothing to do with being polite or anything else because politeness is very nice. Uh, societal norms about how, you know, you know, nice people interact is nice. But if you're actually specifically talking in terms of what's important to them, those needs, wants, dreams, and aspirations, I guarantee you they're listening because we are all, we are all self-centered and we're all, you know, seeking to survive and prosper. And so those priorities are what we think are in terms of those things. So just make sure you're talking in terms of those things. So as they open up, you said the third thing is validation. Can you explain that? Yeah. So validation of those thoughts, opinions, ideas, and priorities. In other words, um, if you don't understand something, you're going to explore 
what it is you don't understand about it. Non-judgmentally, the key here, you know, uh, say they, you know, they, they tell you something or tell you something they're interested in doing or something about who they're trying to be in life. Just validate it by, wow, I never heard it quite put that way before. I, I've never heard anyone that wanted to do these kinds of things. When did you come up with that? You know, at what age did you discover that? Did you have a specific mentor and guide in your life that kind of inspired you or, or you know, led you down that path? That's what validation is. Validation is merely seeking to understand the things that are important to other people without judgment. The other thing I hear you doing is where some people might say validation, you, you validate them. Oh, that's cool. That's awesome. That's great. The way that you're validating is acknowledge them, but also I hear you asking additional questions. Yeah. So, and that's why, and what you just said really kind of goes back to my first one as well. Oh, not my first one here, but my opening statement, a specific non-judgmental validation of a strength attribute or action. Uh, I love the specifics when you actually don't just put a line, you know, like you just said, because uh, that can really fall flat. I meant you're just feeding me a line. I'm specifically paying attention to to the my micros, you know, all the micro information that's coming at you because I'm, I'm, you're demonstrating a curiosity in them as a human being, which human beings love. They just, because they're, you're, you're saying, I connect with you. I understand you. You're seeking to understand me and their brains. What's going on is, you know, because of our genetics of ancient tribal man, we spend roughly 40% of every day speaking in terms of our own priorities, thoughts, and opinions. And when we're doing these things and someone is accepting us non-judgmentally or validating for us, um, those things, we're getting dopamine released in our brain. Um, dopamine, you know, the pleasure centers, oxytocin in the bloodstream, serotonin, all the pleasure centers in the brain are firing when we're being accepted and validated in this way. So, so it's just a societal norm is a good, good behavior, but it's also uh, neurochemistry is is solid behind this as well. I mean, it's an awesome point. I, yeah, we we did a podcast with a guy recently who talked about dopamine, and um, it's just it's really interesting to hear you talk about. Things start coming up. I don't. I don't want to go too off track. So you said validation, and then what was the fourth? Fourth one is uh, empowering people with choices, um, because people don't like being told what to do. They don't like being dictated to. Um, so if you can build a choice into it, um, it, it goes much further. You know, and it's very simple. You know, whatever you're going to say or statement you're going to make or or offer to do something, I always throw in there if that sounds good to you. Uh, if you're comfortable doing this. You know, because any any little statement at the end like that shows that, hey, you're willing to you have a solution, but you're really willing to be deferential, whatever their choices. Because, uh, again, by doing that, you're demonstrating that I value I'm validating you. And it's just building that connection so that we have clarity, because I think I might might have misheard one. It's first goals. Uh, then second was uh, discover the priorities. Right. I'm sorry. So so I have two. So I'll I'll, I'll make them linear right here for you. Uh, so easy for the audience. Sure. So sure. I have the five steps to trust, which number one, uh, what what are you trying to achieve? What are your goals? And part two of that is so why should they want to? Step two of the code of trust is discovering the priorities of others. Step three is discover their context. Step four is speak the language they want to hear. And step five is crafting and putting together that encounter. Now, putting together that encounter that goes to what we've just been talking about, where I'm going to always open with a specific non-judgmental validation of one of their strengths, attribute, or actions. If I don't know what one of those are, I'll validate their time. And the other three things, uh, the four things I'm now going to do in every conversation I have, whether it's in writing or speaking live, I'm going to make sure that I'm, one, seeking their thoughts and opinions, two, talking in terms of their priorities, three, validating those 
thoughts, opinions, ideas, non-judgmentally, and fourth, empower them with choices. That was awesome. <laughs> I'm listening. I'm trying to write notes. I'm trying to figure out how to uh, ask these questions in a way that's useful, and that was super helpful uh, for me <laughs> and helpful for the people who are listening. Dating coach Chris Luna here. This is the perfect time to take a quick break to talk to you about three simple things that you can do to dramatically change your life. First, listen to this entire podcast and then subscribe through SoundCloud, iTunes, or Stitcher. This way you'll immediately be notified every time we share a new release. If you listen and apply the ideas we discuss on these podcasts, it will change your life forever. Second, go to craftchrisma.com, create an account, and become a member of our community. There you can read articles, listen to podcasts, watch videos, ask us questions, and document your journey in our forums. Great men don't become great on their own. All great men are members of a community, and Craft Charisma is your community. Finally, if you're serious, and I know that you are, about making massive changes to your life as quickly as possible, check out our live coaching programs on our website. Craft Charisma live programs are the fastest way to improve your dating and social life. And who knows? Attend our live programs, let us get to know you, and you may end up as a member of the Craft Charisma team. Again, thank you for listening. Now back to the podcast. You've done a lot of training. And one of the questions I had on here was, um, and some of this might be taking a step back, but it was like, what are the most important things you learned about uh, communication and human behavior while in the Marines as the head of the uh, behavioral analysis program? Maybe you can answer that question, but maybe you can just answer, like, what are some other things that you've picked up over the course of your work that really help people connect and that people wouldn't, expect around other people I mean, go, go everywhere you wherever you want i mean I, I love the things that you're saying it's super insightful thanks um it, it came out first like you said from the marine corps um i was not born doing these things naturally i was born with the thought that in order to be prosperous in life is to make myself look good and achieve great things and by the things i achieve people will you know treat me well and give me opportunities and I was doing that when I, you know, went to the Marine Corps as an officer and doing those actions where it's all about me. Um, and I didn't think about it in terms I was doing it about me. I just thought that's the way human beings need to interact. We need to do great things to be a great person. And I remember I was ranked uh, last out of all the new officers in my first evaluation uh, when I was at Cherry Point, North Carolina. I was ranked 14 of 14. And I remember going up to the major who evaluated me and I said, all right, I get it. I'm doing something wrong. What am I doing wrong? And he says, you just need to be a better leader and make it all about everyone else but yourself. And I was like, well, what? The, how the hell do you do that? <laughs> I was doing that. Um, and so it became my lifelong pursuit from that point on to, to watch others that were great leaders. And again, it's very subjective. It's a subjective art form. No doubt. And some people are born with it and the other 50% aren't. And what my life's goal was to make that art form a paint by number. And I was I was fortunate enough that when I got to New York, and I got better by the time I got to the Marine Corps because, you know, it's on the job training. You're just mimicking behaviors of others and, and you know, and you, you do something one day and you say, all right, I did this really much better. And so you kind of repeat that behavior, not understand exactly what it is you're doing. And by the time you know I came in the FBI, I, I, did, I was doing better in my entire job for the FBI is basically recruiting sources and recruiting spies, which is a massively you know relationship-based soft skill. Um, and if you take that hard-charging approach at it, you will fail majestically. 
And uh, but again, I got better because I was surrounded by some really great, um, great Jedi masters. And I got on our behavioral team because I just was doing the behaviors they were and make it linear is the first time I actually started sitting down and giving myself what I call the, the Toyota Green Tundra effect or that new car effect. In other words, when you buy a car, the same, I, the, I swear the same day you bought that make and model, you start seeing that same make and model on the road everywhere. It's like I, when I bought my truck, all of a sudden 300 people in my town bought the same truck um, because it now has labels and meanings. And so what I was doing was systematically putting labels and meanings behind the subjective art form and giving it that paint by number, and I started seeing it everywhere. So I first started doing it. For work, because I was trying to develop rapport, I was trying to you know build relationships, and I when I got on a behavioral team, my job was to actually pick this apart and strategize how am I doing this and how are the great ones doing this, and that's where it started coming about that all the things that we discussed today, the code of trust and these four steps to demonstrating value and affiliation, to others, that's the paint by number, that's the label and meaning, and that and everything we talked about today so far. That's how you focus on others other than yourself because not one thing we said is me focused. It's completely on them because you're a leader sets goals and that's what step one is. But the leader also is a resource for the prosperity of others with no expectation of reciprocity. And so that's one of my anchors to this thing. So we just have our step one. Step two is their priorities. Step three is their context. Step four is talking in terms of them. And step five is crafting this encounter. So it's going to be all about them. And the key to this whole thing, too, is sincerity generosity and genuineness you have to have congruence between that which is coming out of your mouth and that what you're feeling in other words you have to feel inside that i'm actually here to be a resource for their prosperity with no expectation of reciprocity because that's my little fail safe there to make sure that i'm not going to attempt manipulating you because as soon as manipulation is detected in any way or any kind of you know sales scam or anything like that and people pick up on it really quick that creepy car salesman comes out you will blow trust. You will not have a relationship, and it's going to go downhill from there. How do you do that as somebody who is seeking to build relationships, for example, with spies, right? Because yeah, so you know, I, I get this asked all the time. So how do you recruit a, a spy? Well, first thing is you got to realize you don't. What you do is you create a situation where you're you're in a position where you can have a conversation about their priorities, and I can share my priorities. And if their priorities happen to overlap with my priorities, say that they're you know, wanting to do something better for their families, they're trying to provide safety, security, and prosperity for their families, and they happen to not like the direction that their country's going in, their their management's going in, their president's going in, you know, like specifically with Russia, you know, the Russians that I've worked with that have cooperated, it's, it wasn't that they're anti-Russia, they're anti-Putin in the direction that their country was going in because of him specifically, and they wanted a better life for their children. So, you know, what did I do? All I did was offer a trusting relationship where I can, you know, take care of their security and offer them resources so they can move forward with their dreams of what they're trying to do. That's all it is. And that's what we do in every situation. That's what sales is. Sales is the same. I, I call it this the, the most challenging sales job on the face of the planet where I had to sell a concept that doing something patriotic for America is what you want to buy. And if you want to, great. And if not, OK, I'll, I'll, I'll talk to someone else because all then comes down to brand. You know, are you an ass or is it someone that someone wants to talk to? Um, and that's all it is. You Again, it goes back then to the code that we're talking about, discovering the priorities of others and being a resource for them achieving those things. That's all it comes down to is just having good conversations with people and being a resource for them. So when, when you say security and resources, explain what you mean by that. 
Uh, that depends on on the individual. You know, I mean, if you're talking about, you know, spying for your country, um, security could be literally physical security where, you know, no one's going to find out that, you know, what they did. So they, you know, won't have reciprocity against them or their families, you know, back home. But it, general security, you know, like as I've talked in terms of, like I mentioned before, human beings were seeking safety, security, and prosperity and health for ourselves and our families. And security meaning that, you know, that we have a, a shelter, we have uh, heat, we have, um, you know, shelter from the rain, elements, you know, security, um, that we're not going to, you know, that we have law and order so that you don't have to fear for, you know, someone stealing what you have. Um, so basically, you know, the, the primal things human beings are seeking. And, and resources is... Food, food and healthcare, pretty simple. And, and so when you keep keep it boiled down to simple things, um, knowing that now I want to find out how you define security, how you define resources, because everyone's got needs, wants and dreams about the things they're trying to achieve. And I know they're always going to be centered around safety, security and prosperity for them and their families. I'm so glad you share that because my instinct was they're going to be well, someone wants a bunch of money or they want, I, I didn't know really what, what you were going to say, but well, money, and money's just a thing, you know, yeah. why do people, cause so money to me is a means to the ends. It's a means goal. I always say, so you want money. Well, what do you want to do with the money? Well, um, like you said, you know, you had to move from one part of New York. You want to move to a different part of New York. So you, you need, might need money to do that move because you're, or, you know, because you want to live in a better area to be more prosperous in this area. So actually, you didn't need money. You need resources to do what it is you're trying to do and achieve. Um, so I'm a volunteer pilot. I'm a pilot. You know, I, I do general aviation stuff and I volunteer for a group out actually in Long Island. It's called Patient Airlift Services. Uh, flying is a lot of money. And as a volunteer, you spend a lot of money on aviation. Um, but I never think in terms of money. I think in terms of resources. Uh, a couple years ago, I was, my, my son, who's at the Naval Academy now too, was going through his private pilot's license, which is very expensive. I was running out of resources of my own um, to fly myself and patients. And so I just let my friends know, say, hey, I won't be doing this for a while. Then I had a friend step up and said, well, Robin, you can just borrow my plane to do it and just pay for the gas. So did I need money? No, I needed a resource in order to keep doing the good things for other people. So that's why I don't fixate on things. I fixate on the why I'm doing it. And so when you think of the why, for me, um, my, my ends goals are always healthy, happy, professional relationships. Number two is open, honest communication and transparency because you cannot have healthy without those. And my third is uh, available resource for the prosperity of others with no expectation of reciprocity. Under there is uh, protect my community, protect national security. You know, so everything I do honors those things at the end. This is this is awesome. You've said healthy relationships multiple points in our conversation. Can you try to describe what that means for you? Um, I can describe the emotion first. One, the, a healthy relationship is where everyone understands what's important to the other person and they're willing to be a resource for those ends with other people with no uh, frustration, resentment, anxiety, anger. Um, in other words, a healthy relationship is one that doesn't have anything having to do with emotional hijacking that goes on in the brain. All the things that cloud our vision, um, our mental vision of how we see the world around us through negative emotions. So a healthy relationship is just free of negative emotion. Can you give a practical example? Sure. Well, let's see. So, you know, say you got a roommate in college and, you know, and you could choose between, you know, two or three people. And one of these people you lived with last year 
you know, every time you're around them, you know, they, they're blaring their music uh, too loud. They're listening to podcasts you don't like out loud. Um, you're asking them to uh, turn the music down and honor, you know, some things that, you know, are important to you if you need some silence and serenity now and then. And they're totally ignoring you. And by ignoring you uh, and also by breaking rules um, that there might be uh, in the house or the place you're living, you know, they're 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 just driving you up a wall. That's an unhealthy relationship because they're not willing to listen to your priorities and be a resource for you as like and as well as you're not willing to be one for them. So that's unhealthy. Um, now, I'm not saying don't do it or do do it. What I'm saying is I can guarantee you if you don't take action in some way, it will continue. So it's about making a choice. You're either going to learn how to tolerate it or you're going to learn to move on because I can guarantee you, you know, I, I love saying, you know, reminding people the definition of crazy, doing the same thing, expecting a different result. And if you're crazy brain dealing with someone, unless you take an action, I can guarantee you it will continue the same way tomorrow. That's great. You. You talk, mentioned transparency a few times. Can you explain what you mean by that? Yeah, um, transparency is important to me because it's about honesty, and because again, when you're not transparent about your priorities and what you're, you know, hoping to do and achieve, um, that that can lead to people wondering. I wonder what he, re- you know, I like to use the phrase: if someone walks away from having a chat or dialogue with me, and they say to themselves, "I wonder what he really wanted." I have totally failed <laughs> because I want you to understand exactly why I'm having a conversation with you. Um, and I'm, pro- I'm probably the only guy that's worked counterintelligence or few that I'm going to tell you exactly why I'm here. I'm going to tell you exactly why I think you'd be a great resource for national security. And I'm going to tell you exactly what I, I can try to do to be a resource for you. If that sounds great, great. If not, no, I won't. Because people are seeking, you know, because I'm, I'm so anti-manipulation and I, and I fear Someone seeing me as manipulative, the, the greatest thing you can offer to not come across as manipulative, I mean, to be manipulative or trying to control someone or trying to convince someone of something is to operate with full transparency. Just being open and honest. Absolutely. When you're fully transparent, you're fully honest, how, how do, what are the types of ways that people will react to you? Um, usually it's it's reciprocated <laughs> it doesn't have to be um but usually people reciprocate it and again and there's are there times in life when you can't share something and can't be transparent sure but if and i'll tell you if i can't and why i can't in that moment um but you know it, that comes up so rarely um because people really don't care about the details of your life because remember they want to share more about theirs a lot of times we we want to overshare because we're trying to say how awesome we are because we're all we're our own insecurities but um, what happens is when you're transparent and just having great open conversations, I call it the calming of the water. You know, there becomes no turbulence in the relationship. Um, it's really a bedrock for a nice, calm, great dialogue. And when you have calm, easy dialogue, relationships and trust build. And they just and also become ex- both people become exceptionally predictable because nothing's unpredictable because you're being transparent with everything. And human beings, part of making a good, healthy relationship is having predictability and knowing, knowing what to expect from each other in every situation. Yes, yeah, I think that's a very, very good point. What was the third thing that you said for be a resource to others? Is that what, did I catch that right? Yeah, you did. So my third anchor is my leadership anchor, but it's also my, my fail safe and check and balance. Um, so leaders, you know, good, good inspirational leaders are resources for the success of their people. I think that's a, a good known universal. And so that's where this is my leadership thing built in, but it's also my fail safe to ensure that I'm not 
doing it for my purposes or my selfish gains. And that is I'm a resource for the prosperity of others. And I say resource because I don't want to say I'm, I'm here to help others because then again, you're thinking of yourself superior in some way. No, I have a resource for the prosperity of others. Prosperity, because everyone uses that word differently. I want to make sure I understand how they define prosperity with no expectation of reciprocity. There's my check and balance. In other words, I'm offering myself for your success, however you deem your success from your point of view, and I don't expect you to do anything in return. It's super simple. I want to I want to ask the last one, then I want to ask you about how you developed this. The last one you said was seeking uh, security, right? Yeah. So so you know, in my line of work that I had done, um, you know, you know, it was all about you know, protect national security, protect my community. You know, be a, be a resource for that kind of overarching protection um, with whatever I can do for that. And does that community, I mean, is that the community you live in? Is that your family? Is that, um, how do you define community? Yes. <laughs> um, you can go from micro to macro. Absolutely. Okay. Um, very flexible. That leads to my next question. I already mentioned it. How did you generate this for yourself? How did you identify, were, were there particular moments in your life that you, that you feel like brought these on or did you do this in a workshop? Like how, how did you identify these things? Um, it was, it's a lifetime of doing it. And learning, learning each little thing, one thing at a time, and each little thing was learned from a great humbling moment <laughs> that I created and reflecting on, all right, what did I do to cause that? In other words, um, I, I think the only thing I, I've done decently in life um, is every time something would happen and that, that some people would call a failure, a, a, a bad day, or a humbling moment, as I like to call them. I never ever put the blame on anyone else for those humbling moments. I always looked inwardly and said, what did I do to cause this? And so by being analytical and seeing what I did to cause situations like this, I became I became much more aware by giving it that that new car effect about what my behavior was that was doing these things. And likewise, when something went really, really well, I again analyzed what was the behavior I was doing that actually inspired that reaction. Um, because again, I like to make sure I'm adding and let me after the books and the articles I've written. It's all about, these are my manuals on how not to be the moron I was born to be. <laughs> uh, you know, the code of trust is born, you know, the code of trust, as I described, it was born, um, in, uh, 2013, actually. Um, you know, I've been doing rapport stuff before that interviewing stuff, recruiting stuff. You know, I was doing a lot of these things. Um, but the, the, the morph into the five steps of the code of trust was, Literally, someone asked me to do an article for the law enforcement bulletin on counterintelligence. And I was like, all right, let me write about my behavioral team. And I said, well, what am I, what do I actually do when I'm doing a consultation? I never, ever thought about it before in this way, but I took that step back. And, and what I realized in every case I'd ever worked throughout my entire career, all I ever was doing was strategizing trust. And then all of a sudden, I gave those labels and meanings to things. And I was like, oh, my God, it's everywhere. That's all we do every day in our lives is we're strategizing trust because no one will share information with you. No one will follow you. No one will have a relationship with you. No one will do anything unless you have trust. And we all go through life haphazardly trying to build trust without a system. And so what I, I just analyzed, what, what am I actually doing? And that's where this was born from. It was born from that. And, and now that last anchor that I shared with you about being a resource for the prosperity of others with no expectation of recipe. Prosody. That was a combination of wanting to make sure that um, this was leadership based, but also 100% anti manipulation. Because um, 
I, I, I abhor the idea of trying to manipulate someone or even thinking or having someone thinking that I am. And so that no expectation of reciprocity is really, really key and, and, and rooted in me very deeply. I do for others because I choose to without expectation. And so um, that keeps it that, that I call it my fail safe that, you know, no, nope, I'm doing this for you. I'm being a resource to you. And I don't expect anything in return because that's my because that's what leaders do. How do you think that you developed that value? Why do you think out of all the different potential values in your life the, that popped up? Was there a specific experience or like what do you think drove that? Um, I think part of it was uh, multiple experiences, but I really do think the, you know, that first lesson in the Marine Corps where he said, you just need to be a better leader. I really wanted to understand what he meant by be a better leader. And when I got to Paris Island, um, I, I had an aha moment. A few of them, um, the drill instructors that worked for me, I've, I had upward of 16 senior staff, you know, NCOs in the Marine Corps that were helping run up to 200 native recruits uh, at a time through boot camp. And I quickly realized that these these young Marines, you know, the my drill instructors were much better Marines than I ever was going to be. They were they were the most awe inspiring human beings on the face of the planet. And I realized that my role there was, was to make sure they didn't do something stupid to end their careers. <laughs> and so I've literally became a resource for their success. And as soon as I started taking actions to make sure they weren't doing something stupid, like I saw someone get stressed one day and I, I knew he was going to lose it on a recruit and do something he wasn't supposed to do, I sent him home. I said, hey, you, you need a day off. I'll, I'll fill in for you. And as soon as I started taking those actions and seeing the reactions of the Marines where I was throwing myself in a line of fire, not literally – you know, Paris Island, but throw myself in a line of fire to help them protect themselves from their own, their own stress and anxiety. That's when I started understanding that's leadership. I'm a resource for their success and I didn't do it for me. And so I didn't understand it at the time what I was doing, but only later on, you know, really codified this, putting it together. I understood what I was doing and I understood that I finally was getting it um, back then. And that that's what leaders do. They, they, they are resources for this. I mean, Think about the greatest companies in the world, greatest people you ever wanted to work for. They're the ones that people wanted to work for because you knew you'd be successful if you worked for them. And, they, and you'd get all the opportunities. They'd move you on and you'd get promoted. Even though you, you know, the, probably the greatest leaders in companies or anywhere, they're the ones that they have a turnstile. People are coming in and out all the time and not because they're getting fired. The ones that are coming in and out, the ones because they're going through and they're getting promoted rapidly or they're moving to what it is they're trying to do or they're staying there with fierce loyalty because – they love the people they work for. Why? Because these people are resources for their prosperity and they're not doing it with any expectation of reciprocity. I mean, as you talk, I just keep thinking about the awareness uh, that you have. Yeah, the awareness in the, these moments to sort of to recognize and to let go of your ego and recognize what the people around you really need and be willing to go there. And it's pretty awesome. Thanks. Yeah, it's, uh, it's not what I was born with and uh, I saw the value in it. Um, and I still, you know, every day I, I, I do the best I can to check myself every day, every day at the end of the day, I go over every single conversation I had that day. And I ask myself, you know, was I, was I good for them? Well, was I too centered on myself, especially if I, I see something was a little off with someone or I might have deuced a little stress. Uh, oh, I, I picked that day apart hard. Um, and again, it's not in a self-loathing or beating way. It's like, I want to make sure I am using language that they need to hear in a way that they need to hear. And I'm doing it with a lot of sincerity and genuineness. Absolutely. Do you do that with your family or is this a work exercise? Do you do this by writing down in a journal? Do you do it in your head? What is this process like for you? 
Um, I'd say for someone starting it, definitely write these things down. Write down your means goals and ends goals. Start understanding and writing down the priorities of others. Write down and take note of their strengths and attributes because um, that will help you recognize them when they come and help you talk in terms of them. Um, people ask me all the time, so Robin, what's two things I could start doing today to make this better and easier? Those two things. Take note of their strengths, attributes, and actions that are that are that you see as wonderful, and also start writing down, taking note of their priorities, things that are important to them, and where they see themselves going. Just adding those two things will mitigate any self-centeredness that you have, because those two actions alone are so focused on the other person, you won't have time to be self-centered when you're trying to pay attention to them. Um, so. There's no doubt. I'm better at this outside my house. I'm probably up at probably 95 to maybe on a good day, 98% effective um, executing just because of muscle memory. I'm going to be doing this a long time and I'm doing it a lot because it's been my life. <laughs> um, inside the house, you know, that's when shields are down more and, and I have a snarky mouth and my snarky mouth comes out. <laughs> but inside the house, we, we do strategize a lot. You know, when we're going to engage as a family or engage with teachers uh, relatives. I mean, we, we're, you know, my son is really good at this. I have a son and a daughter, um, both in college. Um, my, my son, my son's 18 going on 19 and he, he's a master at this, at this young age. You know, he's, he still works on things with emotional hijacking like we all do, but I mean, he understands the value of relationships and he, and he knows how to build them. And I'm, but we all do. I mean, that's, that's, it's a fun thing we do as a family is cause we don't do unhealthy with each other or outside either. Because it's just so unproductive and what it's such a waste of energy. How did you nurture that with your family? Uh, it's all my wife's fault. <laughs> <laughs> um, she, again, it was it was more separate years ago when I was doing these things for work, and and she was you know doing things at home. But one of the things that she was so good at that overlapped with the code of trust and the things we talked about, she said. This house will always be a safe place. We will never judge anyone in this house, and we will, you know, seek the thoughts and opinions of our children and each other, and never judge them. In other words, she was seeking thoughts and opinions of others and validating non-judgmentally. Um, and every time, you know, the asshole dad came home and wanted to rail against what someone did or or anything else, um, she would jump on me or even on them when they're doing it to each other and said, "No, we will not talk this way to each other. We will not put each other down ever. We're going to seek to understand." Um, and I think building that muscle memory was what um, really created it early on. And then so when I was doing it at work and started giving the labels and meetings there, I started saying, oh, well, that's what she was doing here, making us all do much earlier on. And so that be, just became reinforcing without a doubt. Sounds like you chose a great woman. Oh, no doubt. That, uh, <laughs> she, um, she's, she's made me a much better human being and I was put on this earth for my kids. There's that's, that's pretty obvious to me at this point in my life. <laughs> awesome. I, I do have a, a, one more question I want to ask you um, around this because I, we do a lot of dating relationship coaching. How did you meet your wife and how did you know that she was the person you wanted to marry? Um, it's funny. Cause I, I've actually, you know, years ago when I was teaching, uh, I mean, I've read all the books on the dating stuff, um, and you know, we even had Neil Strauss, you know, the pickup artist, come um, talk to our team a couple times. Um, I mean, it's it's pretty interesting. Uh, the the world uh, of dating overlaps with all this in a lot of areas, um, as long as you stay away from the creepy stuff. Um, and but when it came to my wife, it's really interesting. We actually knew each other since fifth grade. Um, her maiden name's Delusia, mine's Drake, and we were in the same homeroom together from fifth grade up until we graduated high school. 
never never friends. We had overlapping friends. Uh, never had any interests or commonalities um, until five years after when I was a Marine. We met at a mutual friend's party. And what we had immediately was commonality of background. We had context because we shared a, a lifetime. Um, so that shortened it because um, after we met three months later, we were married. Um, <laughs> Marine, see the hill, take the hill kind of thing. <laughs> um, the, the thing which made it really and still makes this work for us is we have overlapping priorities. We have a lot of overlapping priorities. Um, and that's what you know we were intuitively figuring out early on was one, we had overlapping context because we had so much time together. Because that's what people do when they date. They're figuring out, do we have overlapping priorities? Do we have overlapping context? Because I call my wife and I, we're exceptionally compatible because we enjoy doing absolutely everything together. Even as we're empty nesters now, and we actually love doing everything together. Maybe you could share a couple of activities and also maybe share what what has surprised you about her um, as you guys have been married for for a while now. Um. So things we enjoy doing together, um, we, we do a lot of camping in our travel trailer, especially since we use it to go visit our, our, our uh, son up north a bit more than we used to. Um, and, you know, we just hang out together. I mean, we, we like watching TV together. We go to movies together. We go out together. I mean, we just we just enjoy each other's company. Uh, we'll do pretty much anything together. Um, we're, we're, I'm an extrovert and she's the introvert, but we found that happy medium between the two. Um, things that surprised me about her, nothing's really surprised me, but I've been very grateful that she doesn't like change all that much yet. Um, she was always, I was the one that is always loving to change things and move forward in programs and move forward on, on moves or, or new adventure in different areas. And, and I was very, always very grateful that, um, one, she, she did slow me down cause I tend to be more impulsive and she, she will slow me down, but she never says no. So again, what you have there is you have overlapping priorities and she helps adjust my tempo and so i'm just always grateful that she's always willing to try any other advice for guys who are out there looking for a partner things that they should be looking for you know i, I just do exactly the same thing you seek the priorities seek the priorities and understand um those the people that you're wanting to engage and then and after you have a, a first date or even not even a first date, a first encounter when you're discovering their greatness and you're discovering what interests they have and what priorities and where they see themselves going, reflect on it. You know, take time every night or after every encounter you have and reflect this. And is, do we have overlapping or am I trying to force it? Uh, if you're trying to force it, I guarantee you're going to try to force it tomorrow and the next day and the next day. You know, don't try to force it. Just try to find those likes and commonalities. Um, and never ever hold resentment um, towards anyone or anything for what it is they're trying to do. And you'll you'll find exactly who you want to and who you need to be with. This is another way to put it too. <laughs> Robin, this has been absolutely awesome. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me. It's been a pleasure. And if you're listening to this, you want to learn more about Robin and any of the things that he does, I'm going to post some links on the Craft Christmas website and within the description of this podcast so you can find out about him more easily. Um, is there anything else you want to share with the audience before we drop off? I just want to thank you, uh, Christopher, for having a great chat, great conversation. And yeah, please, by all means, anyone can take a look at my stuff. And uh, if there's tons out there on it, so uh, by all means, engage with it. And uh, good, healthy, happy living. It's dating coach Chris Thona here. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen. And we absolutely love making this podcast. We make this podcast for you. So if there's somebody that you want on the show, let me know. I will yell, scream, stand in front of their house, do everything I do to get them on the show for you. 
Also, don't hesitate to follow the podcast on SoundCloud and iTunes and Stitcher. You can also give us a shout out through social media, Facebook, Twitter, share it with your friends. And lastly, go to the Craft Christmas website and create an account. There you can talk about the podcast and communicate with me directly. So thank you again for taking time to listen. You will hear again from me soon.